Hey firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. All right, we have some shout outs to do. I always do shout outs at the beginning of every podcast episode to, you know, shine a light on the variety of people that are doing such amazing work. So if you know somebody that's doing some amazing work out there, send me a shout out suggestion. Yeah, say that 10 times fast and we will get it in on the podcast. Okay, a couple of things. First of all, shout out to Canada's Drag Race. What? Come on, that was such a good finale. Are you kidding me? I'm not even gonna tell you anything because you wanna watch that from the beginning. You've gotta go catch Canada's Drag Race. It's amazing. And make sure you follow all those fantastic people in their drag careers. They just blow my mind. Uh, Winnie Wong, who produces and is our publicist for Firecracker Department, and Sydney Nielsen, who also produces this beautiful podcast and edits all my mistakes out. And she also does some amazing social media stuff, so she's a Jacqueline of all trade. But the three of us have some great texting back and forth about our favorite drag race contestants. And anyway, I love it. So go check out Canada's Drag Race on WOW and Crave. My second shout out is, of course, Winona Earp. What? What is not to love about Winona Earp? Season four, come on. We have so many firecrackers that are either Winona Earp fans or actually on Winona Earp. If you haven't heard Danny Kynes chat with me or when I talked with Kat Barrel or uh, Melanie Scrifano, oh my God, they're some of my favorite discussions and those are some of my favorite people. Go figure. So go check Winona Earp out. It's season four and I know if you don't love it already, you're going to. All right, our guest this week, oh, I loved talking with this guest. I loved it. Our guest this week is writer, improviser, actor, producer, Karen Gracchi. Karen's newest gig is as a writer, producer for a new primetime animated comedy, The Harper House, for CBS All Access. She's been a story editor for the short-lived but much-loved Tuca and Birdie on Netflix, love it, starring Tiffany Haddish and Ali Wong. You're gonna have to go back and watch it because if you didn't love it before, you're gonna love it now. She's written for fellow firecracker Kay Cannon. P.S. If you haven't heard Kay Cannon's chat with me, you've gotta go back and listen to that. Oh, the things you've got to do today. She wrote for Kay Cannon's Girl Boss on Netflix, co-written for Blue on Hulu, and has developed an original animated pilot for Cartoon Network. She's just everything in a positive bag of chips. Is that a thing? She's just such a glowing source of positivity and joy. It makes me want to jump into any room that she's a part of. It really does. She's just an incredible human being. Karen has toured with Second City in Las Vegas and on their first ever USO tour in Kuwait, Bahrain, and Saudi Arabia. I met Karen through a mutual friend who, oh gosh, Rachel Miller. She's just an awesome person, and when I told Rachel that I was looking for new podcast guests, she was like, oh, I have to introduce you to some of my friends, like Karen and Kay Cannon, and oh, Rachel Miller, I just love the heck out of you. So uh, Karen and I connected through Rachel, and we just had a ball of a time. Like, honestly, one of my favorite things we talked about was what Karen's uh, writer's room is gonna look like, and I don't know about you, but do you think about that? Like, what is my writer's room gonna look like? Or what's it gonna look like when I'm directing my own TV series? Or what's it gonna look like when I'm number one on the call sheet? What are those kind of visions for you? Do you dream that way? 
If you do, send me your goals and dreams. I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to hear hashtag firecracker dream what your big dreams are. Because, you know, you put it out in the ether, it's going to come back to you. Last year, Karen's half-hour dramedy pilot, Work Slash Friends, won the Best TV Pilot category at Cinequest Film Festival and featured fellow firecracker Celeste Bagosh. Oh, it's all coming together, all these firecrackers all together. She's just, Karen's just always writing. She's writing, she's working, she's performing, she's doing her craft. And we recorded this a few months back in the early stages of the pandemic times when we all thought it was not going to go on for as long as it is going on. Uh, but I just loved chatting with her. I so miss connecting with people in the same room and actually having chit chats and sharing a glass of wine or a cup of tea. I always bring snacks. I always bring snacks to all my interviews. And I'll tell you, it's not fair to those guests right now when I have to talk on Zoom because I can't bring you snacks. It is not fair. So we promised each other that we will see each other when the pandemic is over and we're able to meet in person. And I so look forward to that. Karen and I talk about her FBI ambitions, taking the LSAT, not wanting to be a director, auditioning, the glacier of LA, being a fancy 80 year old, her experience in writer's room, which is so valuable. Of course we talk about Fleabag. I feel like I'm always talking about Fleabag. And we talk about Dead to Me, Russian Doll. Oh, we just talk about so much. I mean, why am I telling you? You're just gonna listen to it. Enjoy, here she is, Karen Gracchi. love of travel that I also come from yes. because my father uh with a traveling professor of chemistry so very different oh yeah but so, still but we traveled a lot and where did you because I I mean your father and mom weren't necessarily traveling by no. uh, by profession so where did you get no. that passion for I uh I don't know I <laughs> Because <laughs> my parents are both from Buffalo, grew up in Buffalo, still live in Buffalo. You know, they've yeah. traveled but not lived anywhere else. And like my brother lives in Washington, D.C. And I, uh, not, and he just actually moved back to Buffalo. So I'm the only one on both sides of the family, my mom's side and my dad's side. I'm the only one who doesn't live in Buffalo. Right. <laughs> Everyone lives there. And so like, but I, I went to school at American University and I was an international relations major. Like I just love. Yeah politics and language I just always have and so I studied abroad in Russia and I, I just like I've just always loved it and so I've moved a lot you know I've lived in DC I've lived in Virginia I lived in Chicago I lived in Vegas when we was performing now LA and and was just done a lot of traveling for those things and yeah. I just I love it but now I have kids and I'm you know yeah but I, I we still want to do more but now with all this going on I don't know we were planning I mean, to do some traveling this summer as a family but <laughs> yeah yeah well things are on pause for sure but like yeah. I'm so I think that's so interesting like it's almost like seeing kids grow up in a non-musical household and then become these virtuosos like your passion for traveling took you like even in I, I was reading that you you studied like Russian which isn't like yeah. it's not like primary travel that's deep diving <laughs> travel but no, like you deep dove into like Russian world. Yeah. So, so where, I'm just so curious, like, did your grandparents instill, was Buffalo so tragic that you're like, I got to get out of here? <laughs> no, in fact, I'm such a homer for Buffalo. Like I am the biggest cheerleader for Buffalo. And because of it, I have, you know, obviously a love for Canada because I grew up watching so many hockey games and I know the Canadian national anthem. Okay. In fact, that was one of the songs that was in the rotation for my kids when I was doing lullabies, because I was like, 
this is long, like relatively long for a lullaby. All the words I've watched a ton of hockey. <laughs> that is hilarious. I have never heard the Canadian anthem. Oh yeah. And then I heard they changed that one lyric, like Sun's Command to like Our Command or whatever. I was like, okay, yeah. noted, made that yeah. change. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I love mean, Buffalo, but I just loved, I wanted to study politics. I just loved, I remember seeing like, I think it was Hunt for Red October when I was in high school or maybe I was too, I was too young for the movie, but I loved it and I loved the intrigue and the, what is Russia? Why don't we know about these people? It just was very fascinating to me. Yeah, so I, like, yeah. were you even considering going into FBI for a while? A while? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I like it. Yes, all of it. Cause I, I, um, I also applied to law school. I took the LSAT. I was really convinced. I mean, my senior thesis was on um, the Russian mafia. That's what I studied about. I interviewed a guy who was in the mafia when I was in Russia. Like I was very much um, thought that that was going to be my career, not the mob, but you know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I thought that that was what I was gonna do. I was really convinced. Right, and then what happened? Like what took, like, cause sometimes I think that people pursue professions, not because they wanna actually do the profession, but because they wanna be in a show doing that profession. <laughs> you might not have wanted to like go into FBI, but you wanted to play an FBI agent. Oh my gosh, that's a great observation. <laughs> that's a great thought. First of all, I don't look good in a pencil skirt. I don't think I'll be able to pull that off. However, I, I do think it's a great look. Uh, and it's 2020, that, man. You're reinventing what an you're FBI right. agent. What am I, I can be a smart suit. I can do whatever I want. Uh, no, but you're you're right. You know, I think it was like it felt like interests of mine that I still am very interested in, but it felt like what I should be doing, right? And I didn't, yeah. I didn't have any models for, I didn't have anyone in my life who was like, I'm a writer or I write for television. It was like, I didn't even know I could do that. Like how, I, I, could, I knew people did that. So it's like, I knew I was at A, I knew people did that at B, but it's like, how do I get to B? I don't know, but I know how to go to school for language and politics, that I'll do. I didn't wanna make films. I didn't want to be a director. So it was like, it just felt very nebulous to me. I didn't know myself that well then. I think no. I was still figuring it all I out. mean, it's a lifelong journey, but I'm so curious about like, when I look back to the early stages, like of when I chose the comedy path, like I remember distinctly sitting on a couch with my then boyfriend and going, well, what are you going to do? And he was like, oh, I want to do this. What are you going to do? I'm like, I think I want to be an actor. And he was, yes. he actually was like, I think you can do better. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to live together and enjoy a happy life. Then we're going to die. But that's, yeah, but that's it. it. Then I'm going to no really more. wake up to my dreams. Exactly. Um, no way your life. I can't commit to that. Uh, yeah, but well, do you I remember had, that moment? Yes. I had, well, I, I feel like my, my process has been a combination of um, figuring out what I don't want to do, like, That's right? So I'm figuring out, it's like, okay, I know I don't want to do this. That's off the table. I know I don't want to do this. The first time that happened was I had an experience that I've never had since. And I, I'm always skeptical when people say it because it sounds like, sure you did. But I, I had one of those moments of clarity. Yeah. I <laughs> love I, those. I've, I long for yes. those. And sometimes yes. you can't see them until like a month later. I'm like, oh, that moment of clarity. I didn't see it. That's right. That's exactly right. I, like, I feel like I have a lot of process of elimination. But this was a moment I was taking the LSAT. I had taken any practice LSATs. I uh, was... Um, 
convinced, like I, I had taken practice outside, so I'd gotten my score up. I knew about the age I was going to form in. I went to take the LSAT. I was sitting there and there's like three sections, or there was at the time, and there's like a verbal and like a game section. And then there's an essay and the essay doesn't really count for anything, but it's where you can like show who you basically. And so I was writing about it and I had a moment of clarity in the essay, which is usually one of my strongest moments. Uh, and I, I remember thinking, oh my God, I don't want to make an argument my whole life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't want to argue my whole life. I don't want to make an argument. I don't want to do, I don't want to do this, at least not now. And I went, I remember leaving Jill alphabetically she was sitting right behind me and she was like how did you think you did because we were both in the honors program we knew each other and she was like how do you think you did I was like I did well and she's like me too and she went to Harvard and I can't scores <laughs> wow so it's because not as if like you know, but it's also you were good like sometimes you kind of look to your um like the senses being like well this the universe is saying I'm doing well like I I'm in the honor program I'm doing well yeah. with tests but this isn't for me. Like, I think that's a really oh, yeah. important. Well, that's, that's been the struggle my whole life because I am a merit-based person. I am a, a student. I am a person who's like, and you know, top of their class kind of thing. So being in the entertainment industry, which is not based on any of those things. No. <laughs> uh, and doesn't reward on those things. Not all the time. It really has been a challenge with, you know, adjusting my expectations of myself and what I can control. Um, but in terms of like, that was the only moment of clarity I had at that point in my life. Yeah. And then prior to that, like, prior to that, I only, I knew I liked a lot of things. I didn't realize, I guess I was making decisions. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. I didn't realize I was making decisions about the course of my life. This is the other time I realized things, things had been decided or I had been deciding. Friends of mine were getting married in Virginia. This was probably like three years after no, four, four or five years after graduating from college. And they were getting married. We were in Virginia. And I was in their house. And I was living in Chicago at the time. And I'd come down, so I was staying with them. And I was just looking at their house. And I was, you know, performing for Second City at like $78 a show or whatever. Ooh, you know, did, 78. Um, did, yeah, I know. Exactly. Dinner not included. And so, like, uh, we're, I'm looking at their house and their cars and their life, because they did what I thought I was going to do, which was go to law school and, you know, and, and I was like, huh. And I remember being in their kitchen and opening up a drawer and realizing there were shrimp forks in it. And I looked at it and I said, not only are they eating shrimp, <laughs> but they're eating, they're, in their they're eating so much of it. They're like, you know what? Utensils for the quantity of shrimp that we're eating. And that's when I was like, wow, I am making different <laughs> I guess this is not going to be my life. I guess I really don't care about having a huge house. I guess that's not my priority to have, you know, a BMW. And a, like, I guess I realized by comparison that I was like, oh, what I care about is performing. What I care about is writing. And I don't, I have not prioritized it. But I only realized that by comparing myself. I. I feel like, I, I guess I was making choices, but it didn't feel like that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. Something you just said, like, resonated with me because we put so much value in um, the merit of, of our work. So as you go through law school, it's pretty easy to see your merit, right? You get a results back, you win a case. It's all, it's all pretty straightforward, but not so straightforward in our industry here. 
tell me about that mindset for you. Um, I, I think it's still an ongoing, like when I think I've got it or I've let go of a lot of things, it still is a struggle. It's a struggle because, and you probably know this too, as I get older, I see a lot of people I know who are super talented working their butts off, like creating for themselves, writing scripts, writing projects, meeting other people, networking, they're doing it. They're not waiting for money to come to them. They're actively putting themselves out there and doing the work consistently. And they're still not getting work. They still can't live off of it. And that's, it is crushing for me. Yeah. And it's been that case, you know, my husband is also in the business, also a second city person. So we've had times where he's working and I'm not, or I'm not and he is, or neither of us are, and what are we gonna do and now we have kids and we ask ourselves like, what are we doing? But what else, but truly, what else are we gonna be doing? Like, I'm not gonna move back to Buffalo and take a job I could have gotten when I was 18. I am an expert at this. Like, I do know what I'm doing in terms of improv. I do know what I'm doing with writing. I have a lot to learn, don't get me wrong but I've accrued those 10,000 hours. You know what I'm saying? Like, and yeah. I am, I am too stubborn and too stubborn to, <laughs> and too to stubborn. leave. Yeah. And too stubborn to leave. I really am. And I, yeah. I, 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 we've been in LA for 15 years and I am making my living in the business. And I truly think it was probably dumb and naive at times to stay, but I honestly I just didn't want to go through my life looking out the window during my lunch break and counting out the hours of my day and trying to kill time in my own life. Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. Yeah. I would much (laughs) rather struggle in this profession than succeed in something I didn't really care about. That's right. Cause I can't, I'm not, I thought, I know there are people who are like, I can just suck it up. I can like live for the weekends. I can make my family the priority. And it's like, I've done that when I've tempt and I've done that and I don't, like it. I don't, I, I feel like I'm wasting my life. Like I'm, I see the potential level and it's like, a hundred percent. But was there a moment where you're like, I can live without, <laughs> I can live without the Russian mafia, but I can't live without comedy. Do you remember that moment? Cause you had to sort of yeah. give up. Like I yeah, bet there was a I lot of that, books you had to get yeah. rid Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As my parents are still in their house. Yeah. Like you need this whatever this says on the cover, you know, like holding up a book. I'm like, oh yeah, my vocabulary is a little weak now. I don't even know what that book's about. Um, yeah, you know, there was a time, I think I'd made that choice when I was, we, I was in Las Vegas. I was performing for Second City at the Flamingo and I was doing like 10 shows a week. And the choice came when my contract was up, was like, am I gonna go back to Chicago? and do more of the same or I'm gonna go to LA. And that was a point where I think I could have done anything. I could have gone back to Buffalo. I could have gone to law school. I could have, I mean, and I think I was at that point and I maybe mindfully so, or maybe not, I was just like, no, I'd rather be a small fish in a big pond and see what LA brings me. I don't like routine. I, that's something I've realized. I like some routine, like, framework of routine <laughs> but I don't like routine and so the idea of going to LA and starting fresh was exciting to me and that's when I knew yeah I'm not I'm not going back I that's look at my friends lives that like that do regular jobs like regular I mean like consistent paying jobs with healthcare. <laughs> okay thank you for the definition mm-hmm. you know smart jobs for yeah. civilians uh yeah. and uh but you know, provide for them and their families, oh brother. Um, and I just, I don't want, I still don't want to do those jobs. Yeah. I, I, even now with this life, 
at, at this time. I'm like, I don't want to be a nurse. I don't want to be a teacher. I don't, you know, full time. I don't want to do this. So. No, no. I mean, <laughs> I it's right not thing. that it's easy. And there's definitely, I mean, but the problem is when I sit back and go, when the days are hard and I have to say, like, we all go through those, like, no matter how established yeah. you are, like, I've had these interviews with people that have been in the business for, you know, 30 years and still go, I don't know. Is this the last time I work? Is that now like, what's next? So we're always constantly reinventing ourselves to get in there. But at the same time, like sitting back, I'm like, what, what else would I do? I've right. got too many books on comedy to start my library again. <laughs> Very You've invested so much in paperbacks. You cannot, cannot do this. Well, right. Let me ask you, like, do you ever have that time when you're like, like, I don't know, there's, for me, it's just trade-offs, like, where you're like, yeah, I can see all the flaws of this business, I see all the flaws, or I think I try to keep my eyes open for it, but I'm still not going to trade, like, it's still not worth what I'd have to trade on the other side, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, like, so how does that, how does that drive you then, like, on those days where you're like, you know, I've got a family to look after, and this, if yeah. both my husband and I aren't working, what, what helps you pick yourself up and keep going? Yeah, I think for me is like, I had to come to the realization that I am, I can only cr control what I can control. Meaning like, if I'm interviewed for a job and I don't get it, if I did the best I could in the interview, then that's all I can control. Like, and I have to let go of the rest of it. And I've actively worked on that portion of it. So because of that, I've become less of the person who after an audition is like, oh, I should have done this. I should have done this. And I now am shifting thanks to my husband because he's very much this person who's like, okay, that's over. Whether I get it or not, it's over. Like, so now what's next? What's next? What's next? So for me, I just have realized I just need to be much more self-driven. So even if there's like something I've interviewed for or a script I've written, I just like, I have to move on to the next thing because I can't wait to hear if they have arbitrarily decided for one reason or another that I'm getting it or not. And I used to spend a lot of time on that and I, it just didn't serve me. So now I'm just trying to focus on, okay, put your head down, do the work. Yeah. Yeah. I have that in my mantra too. Hard. Well, it's active though, right? Like we talked yeah. about that with like taking action with things as opposed to being inactive and waiting, which I, I don't, I don't understand how some of our friends like in this industry just go, well, oh, I'm hoping to book the thing. I, I don't. I can't. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think we have very similar brains like that. So, yeah. then, so then is there something that uh, like when you said you've kind of gone through the process of being able to divorce yourself from an audition or from a writing gig? It, it, do you just dive into your own work when those are done? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you're a right writer too, so. I'm a writer, yeah. So like that, the hardest part for me, I think, is figuring out how to be efficient with my time in terms of like, because I always feel like I'm cheating something, right? Like I, if I'm not spending enough time with my kids and my family, I feel like I'm a bad mom. And if I'm not, if I go through days where I'm not even thinking creatively and I'm just focused on like, a job I'm on or like something else I've been hired to do, then I feel like, well, your own ideas are going to die and you're never going to get to do these other things you want to do. So for me, it's a balancing of expectations of myself. I think probably four times a day, I get mad at myself for something I'm not doing and then forgive myself for not doing it. <laughs> I mean, the forgiving part is really crucial. And I have not, I think I've learned 
uh, the awareness part of like, oh, I'm out of balance. And then I have, have not learned the forgiveness part. Yeah. I mean, how do you do it? But like, what do you do? Do you just say, well, I get another crack tomorrow. I mean. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, you know, I, I put a lot of things before my own specific goals because they're easier to do than putting yourself into like a vulnerable place or pursuing your own goals. Yes. So it's, I can easily, you know, like organize the spice drawer because that's a goal that I can accomplish. And I'll tell you, it doesn't take much vulnerability to do that. Nobody's going to come in and judge my spice drawer. And if they do, <laughs> so be it. But that same energy, if I put into like the script that I'm writing is much more vulnerable. So that's my, that's my balance that I struggle with. Yeah. I, I, I find too, like, I, I'm hard on myself and, uh, I, that's been my greatest challenge to be honest with you is like, I is to write now my biggest challenge. How do I make things for myself and create, whether it's character or shows or scripts for myself. And then how do I forgive myself when those have to be on hold to take jobs for money because I have a family and I have to, you know what I mean? Like there are some things I don't necessarily really want to do, but I need to do them. Um, fortunately, the show I'm on now and the shows I've been on have been things I like and have enjoyed. But there are, that also then cuts down on how much time I have for myself. Yeah. Um, but I, I have to, like at the end of the day, I still need to be a provider, you know? And so like everybody, you know, so. Yeah. How do you negotiate that? Because there are some some methods that say you know just say no to everything focus on the one goal and pursue that until it happens as opposed to trying to be balanced and providing for your family i mean your kids would be like i'm so hungry and you're like i'm working on my dream how dare you i know i i haven't had success with the one pursuing one thing like i've had success with pursue multiple things as much as you can the best you can and then hopefully some of them will come to fruition uh like i had a pilot that i wrote and was sold and we actually got to shoot it and it's like was so wonderful um but i we started pitching it and then everything kind of i had to the right the wga and the you know ata sort of fought and so like i had to give up my agent and so like everything kind of stopped and had i put all my eggs in that basket i'd be screwed like right. i it, because so many of the decisions are not up to me, whether it's bought, whether someone likes it, whether it fits their programming this year. Like, so I have to have that and I can enjoy the steps of success, but I can't rely on it. I have yeah. to take other things. Like, a, and LA is like a glacier until it's not, is how I describe it. You know, it's yeah. like, it is so slow moving and so such an upward hard struggle where you feel like you're banging on a door until you don't. And then all of a sudden things can come really fast or not. Like, it, <laughs> so I just feel like I have to put uh, plant a million seeds. Yeah. And was that something that you learned or was that something that you've always just innately had in your, in your makeup? Uh, I learned, learned. Like I'm, I'm very much, I used to be very much a person who's like, well, I'm going to give everything to this and I'm going to cross my fingers and I'm going to push and I'm going to, but then I, I think that was the realization that I control so little. <laughs> I mean, we're all life in this business, right? At the, <laughs> at the heart of it, we're all just wanting some sort of semblance of control. And we've chosen a business that has absolutely none. 
Yes, very little. Like I can control the quantity and the quality of that, which I do, and that's it. And so, but I learned that lesson. That's taken me, you know, 15 years. <laughs> I get it. Do you, do you, was that a lesson that somebody taught you? Or was that a lesson that you, um, I don't want to say, I don't want to say mistake, but learned through a mistake? Uh, I think it came from heartbreak after heartbreak of getting really close on jobs. Yeah. And then hearing I didn't get the job or a show didn't get renewed. Like I've been on shows that look like money in the bank for season two and then not renewed. And it had nothing to do with me, you know? Yeah. And so it's really hard um, to learn it any other way than that. And, and like, to be honest, like I'm fortunate that I have a husband who is in the business for as crazy as that is, a lot of times we look at each other and we're like, you should have married a doctor. No, yeah. you should have married a doctor. Like, you know. Why are we bringing a third into our marriage that's a doctor? That's what exactly. I think. <laughs> exactly. Someone's got to have financial stability. Uh, but yeah, it, you know, so I, I, I but I, he's very much like, just do the work, just do the work. And he's very much been that way his whole life. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing the work, aren't I? I guess I'm not. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just it too. Like, what are you doing to feel like creative and validated creatively while you're waiting for the things that that somebody else has to give you like because yeah. you're, you're an improviser so you have the ability to go and do a show a pickup game is that is that something that you use to feed your creative that is like yeah I, I'm curious to hear what you do too because like for me that is like that's why I haven't stopped performing I know a lot of improvisers who came from Second City Chicago who and me too, we didn't want the same experience in LA. We didn't move to LA to be improv performers. You know, we're coming here to take that skill and build on it, right? Great. But I didn't want the same thing, but I didn't want to lose my skills either. Like I, I, I've put a lot of time and money and uh, like all those 10 hours, like they say, you know, uh, working at this skill and this craft, I wasn't going to let it just die on the vine. So yeah. even when I didn't want to, I kind of kept doing shows with my team King 10 who is wonderful made up of wonderful veterans at the West Side Comedy Theater in Santa Monica and like because of that transitioning from improv olympic there I feel like I've killed those skills that had kept me creative when I was so sad like on you know months where we were like trying to figure out how are we going to make this work um it's a wonderful distraction where I was completely in the moment I can't mm -hmm. when I'm, I I really feel like improv is the one thing in my life that I do where I am completely and utterly present. There's nothing, I'm not thinking about what I have to buy at the store. I'm not thinking about what my kid needs for school. I'm not thinking about how tired I am. I am like completely present when I'm on stage. And I, I just think that's so valuable. I mean, are you performing regularly like for yourself for fun? Yeah. Yeah. I have a one woman <laughs> show that I do. Uh, that's it's a great. sold out show. No, I'm doing it in my house. I'm saying I perform for myself. <laughs> I have to say the reviews have not been great, and that's tricky as well, which not- You gotta obvious. expand your circle of reviewers. You know, you yeah, gotta- she, She's hard on me. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's so valid though as a writer too, right? Cause that's your muscle. So if you suddenly oh, yeah. get yourself into a writer's room and go, oh, I'm so not ready for that. And improv for me, like my, I married a second city guy as well. So hey. that's super helpful because you know, we have a, we have a duo and we write and we um, do sketch and we have an improv like podcast together. So yeah. there's always that accessible. 
which That's is great. Yeah, really helpful. Um, I mean, this kind of thing helps me a lot because it keeps my brain open. Like, yeah. it keeps my brain open to other possibilities as opposed to like just the self talk that I do to myself. That is, yep. again, bad reviews. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've always known that I didn't want to rely on anybody else to allow me to do my job. And that's not to say that I don't feel like bruised when I don't book things. I sure do. But I also know that I just have to do the work on my own thing that eventually that'll go. I I may be 80 when it all clicks into place, but (laughs) boy, what a fancy 80 year old I'll be. Well, but look at like, you are doing that, you know, you're self-driving, you're self-creating your show, you're um, creating your own content, creating your own like venue and everything has your name on it as opposed to like working for like a company, this faceless thing. It's like your voice, your point of view, like that's admirable. I mean, it's, I, I found it a, um, the only challenge I found is the financial, like how do I live in an expensive city? with a family of four and keep us afloat while still doing the business. <laughs> yeah. Was there ever a time, was there a time that you were like, no, this is too hard? There were times I remember coming back from a job, working for someone I loved, but driving back from the job, which was like an hour and 10 minutes from Santa Monica to the Valley where I live and just crying on the 405, like in my car, like just feeling like I was spinning my wheels. Like, am I ever going to get in? Like, am I ever going to get opportunity? To me, that's the hardest part about LA. It's like, it's not, can I do the work? Am I good enough? Because a lot of people, a lot of people are good, but I feel like I can stand with them. But it's like, but will I be lucky enough to get opportunity? And I've tried to make it as much as possible. And I, there were times where I was like, I don't know what we're going to do. Like when I had had my daughter, and my, my husband and I, you know, he was working and then his, he was on a show and then it did not get renewed. And then he didn't work for like two years. And I was working the majority, like not in the bit, I was like assisting. And so, you know, you look at your life then and you're like, wow, I feel like I'm working so hard to stay in place. Yeah. Like just keep yeah. my nose above the water. Like how do we get to a place where I don't have to, I, I don't want to, I don't care if I ever live I have no dreams of owning a home in Los Angeles. It's or like shrimp forks. Yes, shrimp forks. Goodbye, shrimp forks. I don't need you. I'll pick up my own darn shrimp. If if oh, I was okay. a fancy talk show, I would be sending you shrimp forks for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just the fact that you even consider that, you're my new favorite person. Great, great. That's uh, all it is. It's just a yeah, consideration. That's it. That's it. Uh, no, but I'm. I you know truly. I I just I don't. I, I just want to be able to not worry about money all the time. And I think we've gotten to that place right now, which is great, but I know it can also happen again, you know? Yeah. Was there, a tipping, was there a tipping point where you're like, like, like that relief tipping point, you know, like you're, you're going down a road of like, Oh, maybe I need to go get my law degree back in order. And then something happened where it gave you yeah. a break. Yes. I, um, I had, I'd worked for this wonderful director and screenwriter named Rodrigo Garcia, and he is fantastic. And by writing with him for a show that was on YouTube with Julia Stiles that eventually went to Hulu, I got my WGA card, but I was struggling to get in a writer's room. Like he was so supportive of me, but I kept trying and trying to get an agent, trying to get a manager, trying writing enough script, punching up that script, doing readings of that script, trying to get, you know, and it feels very much for years. Like I, 
I just wasn't going anywhere. And then finally, a friend of mine who had had some success moved back to LA and she got her own show, uh, my friend Kay Cannon. And she was like, I'm staffing you. Like you are, I'm staffing you and I'm going to fight for you. And that was the break I needed because then it was like, oh my God, thank God. Yeah. Like, thank God I'm in the, now I'm in the door. Like I, at least I have this credit and I can show what I can do. And now I, then I got an agent and then it was like, okay, now it's up to me. Now I have this opportunity. I'm not going to blow it. I'm going to work my butt off. And that's how I know the majority of people in LA is like, they're just working their butt off to take advantage of it. But had I not gotten staffed when I did with Kay's show, Girl Boss, um, I don't, I don't know what we would have done, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't know. I don't well, know. You don't, even, you don't even need to worry about the what ifs. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe I will in a year, but right now we're fine. <laughs> but, but also, like, there's a level of trust that you have that you've gone through it once. We can do it again. Do you yeah, know, like, that too. muscle? Yes. Um, and so when Kay brought you into Girl Boss, was there a quality, like, because I, I also think it's all built on relationships, right? So you don't know the relationship with, you know, the guy you bump into in the lobby might might do the thing. That's what Los Angeles is great for. It's also the detriment because yes. I feel like every time I meet somebody, I'm like, hey, are you going to be the person that changes my life? <laughs> or are you just, you just want to talk to me about my dog? Whatever the I case. I know, I know. But what's the quality that you feel you bring that's unique to, to the room, in the, in the writer's rooms, in, the, in, in any kind of writing situation? Well, that's funny. That was a question that I got when I was interviewing for my most recent job, because, you know, it, with Kay, she knew what I was going to bring because we've worked together since Chicago, you know, like we yeah. kind of came but, up together. So she there's knew a she reason why, like, you continue to be friends. Like, there's something yeah. innately in you that people are like, I need her in the room. Oh, well, thank you. I, well, I, I like to think that um, I come with a great attitude. Like I am a person who is going to pitch positive, meaning if the, as opposed to looking at what's on the board and saying, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. I'm going to say, I don't know about this moment. What might work is this. Like I, I am a solution pitcher. I am a bridge builder. I am a positive attitude person. I'm going to laugh loudly at your jokes. Like I know there's some comedy rooms where people don't laugh at other people's jokes. I know. They don't want them to that, which goes against all, all of our training as improvisers. Like don't right? be so, so miserly with your laughter. Yes. I have it's free. Loud laugh. Yes. 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 So I, I bring it all those things. Like, so I'm very much present. I, Good attitude, listener, builder, uh, combiner of ideas. <laughs> yeah. And so, because, you, and then how do you feel about the shift? Because Girl Boss wasn't yours necessarily. You're still spinning the plate of your own project that's going to go. Yes. So how do you yeah. feel about that balance? Uh, right now, I feel pretty good. I'm on a show called The Harper House, which is a um, an animated primetime show. It'll be on CBS All Access. Um, working for showrunner Brad Neely, who's terrific. And like, he has a really good idea of what he wants. And that's so, like, I feel collaborative there. I, there's only five writers in addition to him. Wow. So I feel, yeah, it's not many. So like to get in, you're like, I'm not gonna blow this. That sounds uh, like a Canadian writing room. Right? Yeah, yeah. small. Cause you, I know you hear about these, like I know some shows have like 14, 15 yeah. writers, but these are like, all the all the shows I've been on, Girlboss had nine. Um, most recently, uh, Tuca and Birdie, there were six, plus the showrunner, and then um, 
yeah, the, now this one five in the show. Right? There were six, but she had to go to another show. So yeah, so it's small, you know, and like they count on you. But what's nice is I, I'm carving out more time for myself. Children have made me efficient uh, where I'm trying to be like, even if I can get, and I've never been this kind of person, even if I can get like 15 minutes a day to be like, I'm just gonna sit and think about this idea. Who is this character for 15 minutes? Just 15 minutes. <laughs> Wait, of and your own project? project? Yeah, my own project. I, I've just lured, I used to be like, I need to get my journal out and I need to, I need time and I got to have music and silence and I've got it. Like, I'm so less precious with that stuff now because I just don't have it. I just yeah. don't have it. So I, and I've seen other people who I admire who are successful and they just work whenever. They just take out their phone and jot down some ideas. They don't care if it's perfect. They don't care blah, 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 blah. And I've, I've shifted away from perfectionism to practicality. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what yeah. about you? Do you like have set times for yourself or do you just like? I'm like the note, constant notes. Like I have in my little That's yellow great. note on my phone. I call it like today, but there's honestly That's like great. 12 todays. And then I just kind of review <laughs> them and, and catch up. But I love like, it's the balance for me is um, producer to creator. Because I, I like being a producer and I've become a producer because I want to be a creator. I learned yeah. early that like after Second City Days, I was like, well, if I still want to be a performer, I better learn how to produce my own shows. Yeah. So the trick is that it's way easier to be a producer because you're just ticking boxes. I mean, not say it's easier, but like it's hard. No, no. But then like it's to sit down. Boxes. Yeah. So like to like turn my creative muscles on is definitely a different, uh, a different muscle for yeah. me to exercise. But I like the idea of just going, 15 minutes. I'm just going to do 15 minutes right now and just do a sprint on my own project. It's a really smart idea. Yep. A friend of mine used to do it with an egg timer where she just set the egg timer for the maximum. And she's like, when that goes off, I'm done. I'm done. I don't have to do anything else. And then if you want to do more, you can. Great. But she's like, I'm only on the hook for like, however high her egg timer went, 10 minutes. Yeah. Minutes, you know? And I was like, that makes sense. That feels doable. Like, yeah. But the As idea, opposed to like, like, everybody be quiet. Yes, I'm gonna write my Yeah, it's like God. Oh God, yeah. just really, just think about it, Karen. Yeah. So, do you find that there's something in your future, like, um, like a big dream of marrying your loves of language and politics and comedy? Well, you know, it's so funny because I saw. Sometimes I'll see a show where it's like this should hit for me on all all levels, like the Americans. I'm like, this this is like this is like Russia. This is like intrigue. This is like spies. This is television. This is yeah, I love it. I yeah, that's not what that's not it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. The shows I like tend to just be, I don't know, riskier in terms. Not to say the Americans isn't great. It's great, uh, um, but what I'm saying is like. Um, I like shows that I, I couldn't have expected, like Fleabag, because I couldn't have expected that that combination would, that somebody, it doesn't surprise me that she is talented that she had the show. I'm surprised that someone paid to make it. Like, if I went in and pitched Fleabag, I don't think anyone would buy it. They'd be like, it's too much voiceover, too much direct to camera, too much, too much. But then you have somebody like the BBC who's like, we're going to invest in this talent and where we believe in her and we see the show and we're going to do it. And it's like, yes, that's what we need. People who take risks and do shows that don't fit in a box like forever. We enjoyed forever. I thought that was a great mm -hmm. show or, you know, dead to me where I'm like, this is how much they get done in a half an hour on dead to me and still have a hook at the end, yeah. end of every show. I'm like, this is 
exceptional Russian doll, things like that, where I'm yeah. like, wow, like it doesn't fit in a nice box, but it's great. And just let people like we, we were trained, you and I like play to the top of your intelligence, like assume your audience is smart. Like right. that's, that's the kind of stuff I'd like to create. So when I watch things like that and the Americans, I'm impressed by it. I know you're worried that somebody from the Americans is listening right now. People be like, "Oh, right, someone's bad mouthing the Americans." I mean, it's, like, it's a great show. Great show. Yeah, no, it's it's challenging though, and and I feel like we've all had like cheerleaders along the way that have championed us in the same way that somebody like Phoebe Waller-Bridge was championed. Because yes, on paper that it doesn't make any sense, but on screen it's like, oh my god, it's a work of beauty. Yeah. Um, Who have been your champions? Well, Kay Cannon, like I said, she's mm -hmm. been a champion for me and because she gave me that yes, like took a chance on me to bring me into a room and, you know, because they're not only staking, they're not only giving you a job, they're staking their reputation on you. Yeah. Like you have to convince their other producers that you're good and, you know, risk a lot on you. Um, but Rodrigo Garcia, for sure, because yeah. he kept banging the drum for me, not only with his reps, it didn't work, but with... <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're very, very, we're very tough. Uh, but like, you know, he gave me opportunities to produce. He did a film with um, Naomi Watts and uh, Annette Benning and Carrie Washington and uh, called Mother and Child. And I got to be associate producer on that. And I got to realize like, oh, I can do this. It's not my passion, but again, process of elimination. I like this. I think I can do this. I still want to be a writer and a performer. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so he, but he kept giving me opportunities. He kept saying yes to me and finding places where I could write. And, you know, he came to see my one woman show when I did it at IO West. Like he, he's just been a constant champion for me. When I got, finally got my pilot sold, he'd really loved that script. He directed it. I mean, yeah. what? I mean, he was nominated for an Emmy. Like he's yeah. just an amazing guy. So like, those are the kinds of things where people invest of themselves in me where I'm, I'm so valuable. And then like in high school, like, um, uh, my teacher, Lauren Hess, like she kept putting me in the musicals and in college, uh, Kellyanne Sinette Jennings, like she was my professor, even though I wasn't a theater major, she cast me. And it's like, though, by saying yes to me, yeah. You know? but and my parents like too, I just, I, but I have to say my parents because you have to. here's a, here's a person who goes to college, like, I'm going to get, I'm going to go get a law degree. And they're like, yeah. And then I'm like, I'm going to be broke and I'm going <laughs> to move to Chicago and do improv. And they were so, and still are. Never, so, never so, missing a beat. Never missing. They were like, all they've ever told me is do what you want to do and do your best. And that's it. And they've just loved me unconditionally. And I, I am so grateful for that, that they mm -hmm. are, you know, they are still constant support for me. My husband, Brian, like, they are constantly making sacrifices for me at like my husband will be like go right I got the kids go right and that's invaluable mm. like for him to even be like they're being crazy and he's like go just take two hours just go go get out of here like yeah oh it's a godsend to have yeah a, yeah to have a partner you know like oh my god yeah I you mean, must feel like you speak, you speak the same language with them like yeah. I do with Brian like yeah yeah, I mean, we don't have kids, so there's no level of um, that kind of obligation. But <laughs> he like, might still be like, "Get out of there! <laughs> get out of here!" <laughs> yeah, go, 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 get out of here! But we, I have nothing to do today. No, no, go, 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 Please go. Please get out. Two hours, just get out. <laughs> but it's true, like just having people that believe in you. Like, uh, I mean, they rise in my in my memory bank to the top of the folks that just just are in my corner. You know. Right. 
and take take let me take a break from being my own cheerleader for a little bit and because that's what we have to do right we have to be like keep going sneakers you can do it and then every once in a while somebody's like yeah keep going sneakers you can do it and you're like oh my god thank you oh god keep going is the best isn't it yeah it's all you need all you need nobody needs to be told that's better or worse like especially in first drafts and first steps into creative things you just need somebody to keep saying keep going yes i agree that you're actually doing it right keep going it, and even if you're not doing right, go make mistakes. Keep yes. going. Here, yeah. here. Um, here, here. Do you feel like there's an obligation for you to be that for not necessarily the next generation, but for other people coming up that you need to reach out to? Yes. I, I, I feel like, for example, I'm going to be doing a Q&A with uh, my friend Emily Schmidt, and we're going to be doing it for... Uh, like just about like people can call in about like writing questions or whatever. What's it like to be in a writer's room and all that? Yeah, but I yeah. think it's important to be accessible and like be real and be honest about what things are and what things are. And that there, you know, a lot of times uh, like I've been, I've mentored some people who are in high school or college and coming up um, and uh, or just new writers in LA. And the question that comes up a lot is like, how did you make it? And it's like, I still don't feel like I made it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm making it. <laughs> I think that's a better question. How are you making it? Yes. And how will you make it in the future? Exactly. And what are we talking about? Pie at this point? Yes. What exactly. We- what is, what is the spice rack I'm trying to create? That's right. Oh yeah. Just being accessible and trying to answer questions and read scripts when I can and like give advice. And, uh, and then I'm not in a position to hire, but then hopefully hire like hire people that are not only qualified, but aren't assholes, like uh, that are genuinely good people and are doing the work. You know, I I know some people are like, yeah, it's okay if they're difficult because they bring something to the table. No, I don't have time. I don't have time. I I don't want that in my life. I'd like, what? If you're you're a jerk, you're done. You're done. You got a huge ego. I don't care. Like, so I hope I can get to a place where I can then actually pay people. Yeah, you know, I'm not in that position yet. But. Well, but paint me the picture because I like playing the game of when I have my show. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Here we go. So paint me the picture of like, for sure I'm going to do this. Like on my show, we're not going to have water bottles. Like <laughs> I want to know all the things that you're going to do when you have your show. Uh, what I would like to do is something as a gift to my writers is to do something that I've learned I appreciate as a writer, which is really understand what I want my show to be about, how I want it to end, and how I see it happening. Like the shows I've enjoyed writing on the most are sometimes the ones where I have the least influence because they have such a good idea of that they want that I am there just to serve that. So I think, and that brings out then my best qualities as opposed to being yeah. in a room where someone's like, well, let's figure it out. Like I, I, that's a gift I hope to bring is to bring people on who can really play to their strengths. Like, like saying to, like to Naomi, I'd be like, Naomi, you have an improv background. You can like, let's get into characters on this. Who are some characters this person could be like playing to your strengths. That's what I would like to do is like, I would like there to be very little status on my show, meaning like I'm going to talk to everybody the same like I do in life and I don't care how much money you make and I don't care how many shows you've written on. If you're the writer's assistant, your idea is just as valuable as somebody who's an EP and that we were all, we're all of that mindset. Cause I've seen people where the per some people are on that train. Yeah. yeah. And then, or they say they are. 
correct. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, and I would try to be very transparent on my show, uh, where I would say, I'm frustrated with this. I'm disappointed with this. I need this. Um, uh, and I would just have to, uh, at, tell everyone that th I don't expect anyone to be cool or say the right thing. I would hope that the writers room I had would be one where people could say a lot of things, like an improv. You take many shots on goal. Let's yeah. get as many shots on goal so that you don't feel like you have to craft the perfect joke or idea. Let's yeah. put it out there so then other people can build on it. Like it would be a safe room. It would be a supported room. It would be a fun room, but it would also be one that had clear understanding of what needed to get done you know and I that would be my hope that's the dream but of course then I you know I meet so many people who are showrunners and then you don't realize how big that job is <laughs> I know the better start where you're starting right well that's that's the hope that's what I would go in with you know yeah. what I mean and then try to have obviously a diverse balanced room where I he that can people can tell me things I don't know and and inform me and make sure I'm not being an idiot about things or being blind to topics or or points of view you mm. know yeah um I love the discussion of transparency and I'd love to hear how you deal with sticky conversations because I feel okay. I feel like you're so you radiate such kindness and joy <laughs> that I can imagine if I'm going to get be being told off I would rather have it come from you <laughs> So I'd love to know how you deal with a sticky conversation. So you mean like a, a situation in the writer's room where someone says something yeah. offensive? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I, that's interesting. I don't know if I've been in a room, I've been fortunate to be in rooms that are really diverse where people just call shit out and they're like, no, like <laughs> someone might say something, not racist, but like, like someone would say like, oh, I love this artist or even like, I love their point of view. Like, anything and I'd be like ah that person means nothing to me like yeah. so like you know I feel like that's the only way I could be is just be respectful of what someone thinks me like I try to listen as much as I can and try to understand why they're saying what they're saying <laughs> but often I'm just like then I just say my point of view like that person means nothing to me I don't care what their point of view is I'm never gonna like Kanye West these are things that <laughs> I know I know I get it I just, he's just not for me. I mean, I'm sure that song is great. I'm not coming around on him. Uh, no. So like, you know, those are the guys. Yeah. <laughs> he's not going to bed, losing sleep over me, not playing <laughs> any of his music. Like, he's fine. He's doing just great without me. He's yeah. I love, um, how, I love how your standards of like things that you'll do in your show are so beautiful and in depth and like heartfelt and mine are like, no water bottles. <laughs> I like that though. I like that though because I, I, I you, th those are the specifics that make a difference. You know what I mean? Some people are like, I would have great snacks and everyone gets a break and you don't have to eat in the writer's room. And it, like, you know, those are also like subcategory B for me, but sure. that don't undercut your water bottles. That's a good one. That's but I do one. think like, even if they're subcategories, like they are imperative because it means like a level of respect. It means a level of looking after your team. And as you said, like keeping an equal status, like I'm such a huge, component of um, inclusivity and having like making sure people feel like they got a place at the table. Yeah. yeah. Everyone yeah. like in, you know, I, the, I've always been interested in round tables too. You never see a round writer's room table, probably cause it's like with so many people sitting, it just, there's so much empty dead space in the middle, but it really sucks to sit at a long rectangle yeah. because you're just, you, you're constantly like this and you don't see everybody. It's so nice to be, 
circular. I, yeah. I, I would try to find a workable circle table. <laughs> I love that. I, I can see in the Hollywood Reporter, like, diva Karen Gatsby <laughs> demands to have a circular table in the writer's exactly. room. Exactly. I'd be like, oh, man. Well, <laughs> all right, if I'm going to go down for something, and I will, this might, might as well be the table. I mean, I'll take yeah. it. All right, I'm going to wrap up with a couple of questions. Some of them are some I've used before, but they're Ooh. rapid fire, but they're not necessarily rapid or firearms. Um, okay, what, what do you want to be known for? I want to be known for being uh, fun and loving. I love that. Um, <laughs> if this was a movie and the credits are about to roll, what's been like the climax of your story so far? The climax of my story so far? The climax of my story so far is um, uh, getting 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 to a place where I can uh, I, I've paid my bills silently and quietly and been employed and watching my children play like and like we have a roof over our heads I have my yeah. husband I have my job I have my kids I all the plates plate spinning plate yeah. spinning that's what I'd say I love it I use that analogy a lot what's the book that you have in you to write oh the book i have in me i have i actually started a book so. of course you did of course you did so I started a book. The, the, the you want to know what it's about or sure. the title yeah oh, everything so. uh the book is about a, a regular woman who is pushed to the point of uh seeing if she can pull off a murder <laughs> I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> I do. Comedically, comedically. She's like, well, I've, I've, I've learned and done enough true crime. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull this off. Yeah. Make a yeah. little dosh on the side. Yeah. Let's see if I can do it. Um, what's something that people don't know about you? Uh, well, now everyone knows I know the Canadian National Anthem. I, mean, uh, I won my fifth grade spelling bee uh, on the word phlegm. Thank you. P H L E M N. Oh shit! <laughs> oh, why was I so stressed out about that? I wasn't even on stage or anything. I was getting all sweaty. Your hands. I know. <laughs> um, what do you feel is the biggest learning point for you in your past that you've carried with you? Uh, something I've learned. Yeah. Um, don't take yourself too seriously. I like that. Um, <laughs> What, uh, what do you do when you need to regroup when you're out of balance? Uh, I need, I probably need to exercise, but what I probably will do is take a bath. <laughs> Why don't they have gyms in the bath? That's what I want to know. Hey, Why can't I put that treadmill underwater? And I, yeah, <laughs> like one of those people who are doing like that physical therapy where they're underwater. I'm like, this is probably the best thing in the world. Throw in some Epsom salts and we got it. Right. Go. I guess that's aquasize is what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that's like the worst of both of those. Worlds. Oh, really? <laughs> it really is. I would do it for the cap. I would do it for the frilly cap. I, I went to an exercise class that was like an aqua class and I showed up and I was like 20 years younger than everybody. <laughs> but didn't you feel so alive and like, I can do stuff. I had the same thing though. I went to an exercise group and I was like surrounded by people that were obviously older than me. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to feel great about myself and could do nothing. I, could, I couldn't keep up with the class. All the ladies around me were like, <laughs> like just no problem. Oh my God. And they knew the routines. Yeah, man. Yeah. You had to catch up. Took yes. Me, took me down a notch. Yes, girl. Yes. Uh, my final question is advice you would have given to your younger self. Um, 
don't care if people like what you're doing. Just do what you like doing. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. I always think that <laughs> resonates like when I was 12, but also now. Like that's still relative yes. now for me. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was a big thing. Don't, don't care what people think of you. Do what you like. That's more important. That's, that's very, it's a hard lesson to unlearn. I'm working yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're a process. We're a process. Thank you so much, Karen. What a treat. Yeah. What a joy. I, you're a delight. Oh, you're a delight. I knew we'd get along. <laughs> I'm right. so happy to spend time with you and I'm so excited to see what you're creating. And I, I'm, I'm just enamored with your whole, your whole journey. I just love talking to fellow improvisers and people you just feel like immediately you're on the same wavelength. It's just, it's magic. That'd be so fun if Karen and I could do some improv together someday. I just know it would be a riot. She's got such an interesting body of work and you can catch a lot of it over on Netflix and Hulu. So go on over there. You can also follow Karen on Instagram at thatgirlkarengracci, G-R-A-C-I, and let us know while you're over there on Instagram or Twitter at firecrackerdept, what stuck with you from this episode. If you love the podcast, let us know. I always, always love to hear from you. We love finding out what parts you really connected to, and thank you so much for taking the time to review because that helps build our community. Hey, don't forget, tickets are still available right now for our second annual Firecracker Department TIFF brunch party. It's on Sunday, September 13th. You're gonna wanna register. We're gonna go all virtual. There's gonna be breakout rooms. There's gonna be a red carpet where I'm actually interviewing some of our past guests and some of our community members. Uh, it's gonna be like nothing you've ever experienced before. It's certainly like nothing I've ever planned before. One of the things we're doing this year, which I just love, we did it last year for our TIFF party, we're doing it again this year, is presenting a Blaze Award. And the Blaze Award goes to somebody who's just kicking it this year. Somebody who's not just doing one project, but doing many projects and making their community so much better. Last year it went to singer-songwriter Jan Arden, who everybody loves. And this year it's going to superstar funny human being Michelle Buteau from Always Be My Maybe, The Circle, Broad City. She's also written a book. She's got a podcast. She's everywhere. And we happen to be in a movie together called Work It. I just love her. And I'm so, so happy to be able to present this award to her. We'll be streaming the red carpet to our Facebook page, but also publicly. So if you don't have Facebook, don't freak out. It's going to be fine. Then the real party will happen in the Zoom party rooms after the red carpet. And that's where you need to register. So if you haven't already, go over to firecrackerdepartment.com and register your butt over there. It would be great to have you there. We've got a whole week of party prep going on. Every day you get a different kind of treasure to hunt for so that you're ready for the party on Sunday. Remember, Sunday, did I say that again? Sunday, September 13th. You're gonna want to get all the details about everything going on at the event link on our website or in our show notes. We would love, love, love to have you at the Firecracker Tiff brunch party. It's gonna be fun and it's gonna be way better cause you're gonna be there. Like I always say, there's space for everyone within the Firecracker department. And if you're not already part of our Facebook members group, why not? There's tons of stuff going on over there. That's our central hub for connecting with the Firecracker community and where all our event reminders, conversations, and connections happen. 
uh, like our sparkler department, which is little firecrackers. So if you have kids, go check out the sparkler department. Or are you an actor or a writer? Because we have the script department and writing department as well. Weekly, the writing department posts a prompt on Mondays so that you can do that anytime. Plus, we do a little writing gym with bursts so you don't even have to prepare anything. We do that on Zoom every Thursday. Come and join us over there. Every Sunday we host a community brunch on Zoom so that new and current firecrackers looking to meet other creative people like you can hang out and connect. And it's always really fun. We drink coffee, we often wear our pajamas and have bathrobes and that's the way it rolls. We always want to know what you're doing and how we can help you move forward creatively. Monthly, we host a script department reading series, a wellness department meditation, live spark chats on Instagram with past podcast guests, and even a movie club. Yeah, there's a lot going on, and there's a department and a seat for everyone at the firecracker table. Come find yours, share your voice with the world, and connect with your people. Stay in the loop with everything I just threw at you by subscribing to our newsletter at firecrackerdepartment.com. Big, huge ginormous thanks to my whole team i'm throwing my arms up ginormous everyone who's in los angeles toronto vancouver new york and all the way over in the uk thanks to all our core members for everything that they do online and off to make this community this firecracker department growing into what it is becoming which is so important to me and from what i'm hearing from the feedback it's important to you too so thank you Big thanks to Jeff Militinovic and Igor Karila for our theme music. We love it. And thanks to you. Yeah, you, the one listening right now, for taking the time to listen because we know there's a lot of options out there and we so appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Naomi, and we'll see you next time on the Firecracker Department. Boop-a-doop.